Blog Talk Radio. Hello, Blog Talk Radio listeners. I'm your hostess, Evangelist Wanda Clay, sharing God's sacred word Bible study with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all you do. And though our best isn't good enough, we come asking for forgiveness. You are like none other higher than the highest. So I ask that you fix that that needs fixing everywhere for everybody. Because you already know our needs. Fix them, Lord Jesus. And move in me to help others understand your word on this talk show. I pray that you continue its growth. Bless Blog Talk Radio financially and spiritually, Lord. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding of what you want us to know. And I pray for those who seek your word to find you, Heavenly Father. Bless and watch over them in Jesus' name. Let them and everyone learn to depend on you. And those who have found you, strengthen us, Lord. Lead and guide us not into temptation, but help us to just walk away. Bless those, Lord, who are struggling and those who are not struggling. We need a blessing from you, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, give those what they need. Heavenly Father, help us to love and pray for ourselves and others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before I start, let me again thank God for guiding me, and I pray for everyone's understanding of his words. And as always, I thank Minister Joel Lewis and Granny's Place for giving me this opportunity. I'm here three Fridays a month, 8 to 8.30 a.m., plus on Facebook at Peace, He God First, you're welcome to join our group 24 hours with questions, answers, comments, recipes, and much more. Due to time on Blog Talk Radio, I will give you the outline of each chapter, and I will comment on some verses. Now let's get into our lesson. Our lesson today comes from 2 Corinthians chapters 9 through 13. Chapter 9. In this chapter, the apostle seems to excuse his efforts in pressing the Corinthians to the duty of charity, which is in verses 1 through 5. And he proceeds to give directions about the acceptable way and manner of performing it, namely abundantly, deliberately, and freely. And he gives good encouragement for doing so in verses 6 to the end. In verses 1 to 5, the apostle speaks very respectfully to the Corinthians. And while he seems to uh, excuse his urging them to charity, he still presses them and shows them how much his heart was set up on this matter because he knew how they had begun this charitable good work a year ago, and he had boasted of their zeal to the Macedonians, commending them for what they were done, what, for what they had done. So he lays an obligation on them 
to proceed and preserve. Verses 6 through 15, here are proper directions are observed about the right and acceptable manner of giving charity. And he says that we should give liberally with an open hand and cheerfully, being glad that we have the ability and opportunity to be charitable, that good returns may those expect who give freely and liberty in charity. And the apostle goes on to ask them that, can a man be a loser by doing that which God is pleased? Are not the love and favor of God better than all other things, better than life itself? And he tells them that God is able to make our charity charity rebound to our advantage, which is in verse 8. And he says that we have no reason to distrust the goodness of God. And surely we have no reason to question his power. He's able to make all grace abound toward us and abound in us to give us a large increase spiritual and good things and to be content with what we have, to make up what we give and to be able to give more as is written in Psalms 112 and 9 concerning a charitable man. And he tells them that the honor of charity is everlasting. The reward of it is internal. And that we're still able to live comfortably ourselves and to give liberally to others. And the apostle sets up a prayer to God in their behalf that they may be gainers and not losers which is in verses 10 and 11. There are several things which he desires for them, namely that they have bread for their food and always an sufficient amount for themselves, that upon a whole that they may find it true that they shall be no losers but great gainers. While they would be no losers, the poor distressed saints would be gainers. But this service would apply their wants. And he says that if we have reason to think that they are saints whom we believe to be of faith, whose wants are great, how ready should we be to do them good? And he says that besides these, others also would be thankful, such as the poor who were supplied in their wants, they would not fail to be very thankful to God, and they would bless God for them. And all who wished well to the gospel would glorify God for this experiment, a proof of suggestion to the gospel of Christ and true love to all men, which is in verse 13. And he says that we must reveal the sincerity of our subjection to the gospel by the works of charity. This will be for the credit of our profession and be the praise and glory of God. And lastly, the apostle concludes the whole matter with this diology. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift, which is in verse 15. Some think that this unspeakable gift, he means the gift of grace, 
that's restored upon the churches and making them able and willing to to supply the necessities of the saints, which will be attended with unspeakable benefits both to the giver and to the receiver. Chapter 10. The apostle met with more oppositions from false apostles, brethren, and many enemies at Corinth. Though he was blameless and inefficient, condescending, and useless to all, there were those who envied him, and they did all they could to undermine him and to lessen his interest and his reputation. So he vindicates himself from their invitation, and he arms the Corinthians against their insults. And in this chapter, verses 1 through 6, the apostle, in a mild and humble manner, asserts the power of his preaching and to punish offenders. In verses 7 through 11, he proceeds to reason the case with the Corinthians, asserting his relationship to Christ and his authority as an apostle of Christ. And he refuses to justify himself or to act by such rules as the false teachers did, but according to the better rules he had picked for himself. Now let's go back to verses 1 through 6. When we find ourselves tempted or inclined to be rude or severe toward anybody, we should think of the meekness and gentleness of Christ as he walked on earth. We should be sensitive, Paul says, of our own infirmity and think humbly of ourselves, even when men reproach us. And he beseeched them to give them no reason for him to be bold, or to exercise his authority against them in general, as he had resolved to do against some who unjustly charged him as walking according to the flesh, regulating his conduct, even in his ministerial actions, because this is contrary to the spirit and design of the gospel and was far from being the aim and desire of the apostle. He asserts the power of his preaching and his power to punish offenders in verses 3 and 5. And he goes on to write that the work of the ministry is a warfare, not after the flesh, but it's a spiritual warfare with spiritual enemies for spiritual purposes. And the doctrines of the gospel and the discipline of the church are the weapons of this warfare. And these are not carnal, and they are not the methods of the gospel. And here we observe what opposition is made against the gospel by the power of sin and Satan in the hearts of men, which is ignorance, prejudice, beloved lust. These are Satan's strongholds in the souls of some. Vain imagination, carnal reasoning, high thoughts of proudness. These the devil used to keep men from faith and obedience to the gospel. And it secures his position of the hearts of men as his own house of property. 
In verse 6, the apostle speaks not of personal revenge, but of punishing disobedience to the gospel and disorderly walking among church members by inflicting church censors. Though the apostle showed meekness and gentleness, he was not going to betray his authority. And in verses 7 through 11, the apostle proceeds to reason the case with the Corinthians in opposition to those who despised him, who judged him as hardly of him. In outward appearance, Paul was mean and despicable with God. And a man may seem to be learned who's not learned Christ and appear virtuous when he has not a principle of grace in his heart. So the apostle asserts two things of himself. One was his relationship to Christ, which is in verse 7. And two, that there is room in Christ for many. And those who who differ from one another may yet be one in him. And he tells them that it would help to heal the differences that are among us if we would remember that how confident soever we may be that we belong to Christ. Yet at the same time, we must allow that those who differ from us may belong to Christ also and therefore should be treated accordingly. Chapter 11. In this chapter, the apostle goes on with his discourse in opposition to the false apostles who lessened his interest and reputation among the Corinthians and had prevailed too much by their insults. One, he apologizes for going about to commend himself and he gives the reason for why he did it in verses 1 through 4. Two, He mentions his own necessary vindication, his equality with other, really without wedges, which is in verses 5 through 15. Number three, he makes another purpose to what he was about to further say in his own justification in verses 16 through 21. And four, he gives a large account of his qualifications labors, and sufferings in which exceeds the false apostles apostles in verses 22 to the end. So back to verses 1 through 4. The apostle writes, It's no pleasure for a good man to speak well of himself, yet in some cases it is lawful, mainly when it's for the advantage of others or for our own necessary the necessary vindication as it was here. But there are reasons for what the apostle did, and one of them was to preserve the Corinthians from being corrupted by the insults of false prophets, which are written in verses 2 and 3. Verses 16 through 21, he says, Let no man think me a fool, in verse 16. If you count it folly in me to boast a little, give regards to what I say. And he gives a good reason why they should allow him to boast a little. Verses 22 through 33 says, Hear the apostle, 
gives a large account of his own qualifications, his labors and sufferings, not out of pride or vainglory, but out of the honor of God. One, he mentioned the privileges of his. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews of a family among the Jews that never intermarried with Gentiles. He was an Israelite and could boast of being a descendant of the beloved Jacob as well as they could. And he was also a seed of Abraham. And he makes mention also of his apostleship that he was more than an ordinary minister of Christ in verse 23. He had himself faithful, and God had put him into this ministry. He had been a useful minister of Christ unto them, that he had been an extraordinary sufferer. Paul was an apostle of Gentiles, and for that reason he was hated by the Jews. They did all they could against him, and among the Gentiles also he met with hardships. Bounds and imprisonment were familiar to him. The jail and the whipping post was what he was accustomed to. As to the Jews, whenever he fell in their hands, they never spurred him. Five times he fell under their lash and received 40 stripes. 40 stripes was that that you could give a person. Among the Gentiles, He was beaten three times with rods. Once he was stoned and he was taken up for dead in Acts 14 and 19. And he says that three times he suffered shipwreck, that a day and a night he had been in some deep dungeon or another, shut up as a prisoner. If he journeyed by land or he journeyed by the sea, he was in pearls of robbers or enemies of some sort. The Jews, his own countrymen, sought to kill him or do him a mischief. The heathen to whom he was sent, they weren't kind for him either, for among them he was in pearls. Paul says that he was a stranger to wealth and plenty, power and pleasure. But Paul was one of the greatest plague of his generation. And this is not all. Because As an apostle, the curse of the church laid upon him, which is in verse 28. Chapter 12. In this chapter, the apostle says, his own praise was only in his own justification and the necessary defense of the honor of his ministry, the preservation which was necessary to his success. First, he mentioned the favor that God has shown him, the honor done him, the methods God took to keep him humble, which is in verses 1 through 10. In verses 1 through 10, heard the apostle writes concerning the honor which he was caught up in the third heaven. Now, we can't say what it was doing those three days that he laid without sight at his conversion conversion, or at some other time, excuse me, but it was certainly a very extraordinary honor done him, caught up in the third heaven. It was into the third heaven 
for God most manifests his glory, called the paradise of God in Revelations 2 and 7, signifying to us that by Christ we are restored to all the joys and honor that we lost by sin. Now, the apostle doesn't mention what he saw in the third heaven of paradise, but he tells us that he heard unspeakable words such as it's not possible for a man to honor, utter with the language of the upper world. Nor was it lawful to utter those words because while we are here in this world, we have a more sure word of prophecy than such vision and revelation, 1 and 19. In verse 7, the apostle says that he was pained with a thorn in his flesh, and he was buffered with the message of Satan. But the thorns that Christ wore for us which he was crowned with and sanctified, make easy all the thorns in the flesh that we may have at any time that we may be afflicted with. For he suffered that he might be able to aid those that are tempted. Now, Paul says that temptations to sin are most grievous thorns, that they are messengers of Satan to strike us. And he says that if God loves us, he will hide pride from us. And that spiritual burdens are ordered to cure spiritual pride. Paul himself knew he had not yet attained, neither was already perfect. And this thorn in his flesh is said to be a messenger of Satan with ill intentions to discourage the apostle who had been so highly favored of God, and to hinder him in his work. So we use his prayer, Paul says. And he says that prayer is an ointment for every sore, a remedy for every melody. And when we are afflicted with thorns in the flesh, we should give ourselves to prayer. When God does not remove our troubles and temptations, he gives us grace sufficient for us, and we have no reason to complain or say that he deals ill by us. It's a great comfort for us. Whatever thorns in the flesh we are pained with, God's grace is sufficient for us. Now, grace signifies two things. One, that the goodwill of God towards us is enough to enlighten us and strengthen and comfort us to support our souls and cheer up our spirits in all afflictions and distresses. Number two is that Christ understands our case, and he knows our needs and will proportion the remedy to our melody and not only strengthen us but glorify himself. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. His grace is manifested and magnified, and he ordains his grace of the mouth of babes and superlates. Chapter 13, 
In this chapter, the apostle threatens to be severe against sinners, and he gives the reason why in verses 1 through 6. And then he makes a suitable prayer to God on behalf of the Corinthians with the reasons endorsing him in verses 7 through 10. And he concludes his epistle with a benediction in verses 11 through 14. In verses 1 through 6, verse 1, Paul says that this is the third time that I am coming to you. And he's referring to the first and second epistles, which he advises them as if he was present with them. But though he wasn't present with them in person, he was writing a letter to them. Apostle had designed and prepared for his journey to Corinth twice already, but he was hindered and now informs them of his intentions a third time to come to him. And he says that the evidence of his apostleship was necessary for the credit, confirmation, and success of the gospel that he preached. And being denied meant being censored. Even as Christ was crucified through weakness, as it appeared in his crucifixion, he lived by the power of God. His resurrection and life manifests his divine power, which is in verse 4. And therefore, as a proof to those who among the Corinthians sought a proof of Christ's speaking in the apostles, he puts them up proving their Christianity in verse 5. And he tells them to examine yourselves, whether we be in faith, because it is a matter which may be very deceitful, and it's highly dangerous, whether Christ be in us or except we be probate. So either we're true Christians or we're great cheats. And what a reproachable thing it is for a man not to know himself and not to know his own mind. And then verses 7 through 10, this is the most desirable thing that we can ask of God, both for ourselves and our friends is to be kept from sin, that we and they may do no evil. And it is most needed that we often pray to God for his, because without this we can't keep ourselves. And he encourages them with the promise of God's presence among them. And he tells them that God is the God of love and peace. He is the author of peace and lover of concord. And the apostle ends his letter with the benediction in verse 14, which says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. This ends our Bible study. I pray that God's word has shed some light on things for you. I'll see you next time right here at the same time. And don't forget to visit us on Facebook at Peace Keep God First. And don't forget to check in with God from time to time. 24 hours is free. Bye.